It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 132, King Rehoboam's Failure in National Intercession. When I think of Rehoboam, I can't help think of those videos that document the lives of children of billionaires. A generation of kids who grew up with all of the luxury a person would ever need. No need to ever work, learn the rewards of hard work. No character development of perseverance and long-suffering learned through times of hard work. Don't get me wrong, there's the best schooling and teachings of the land at one's fingertips, but real-life application sometimes is lacking because they are raised in the mansion or the penthouse. Now combine this with sin rampant in the house of Solomon. Rehoboam was raised in his father's harem, and his friends and so-called counselors are probably the sons of Solomon's drinking buddies. It's ridiculous. Rehoboam is the educated playboy billionaire when he comes to power over a judged nation in economic trouble. 1 Kings 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. So the people went away. Did you notice the reference to three days? They are hidden all throughout Scripture, and three days always refers to resurrection power, or at least the potential for resurrection power. Rehoboam has an opportunity to exert resurrection power. He said, go, come back in three days. Jesus died on the cross and came back to life in three days. All throughout scripture, powerful things happened on specific mentions of three days. In this case, Rehoboam had an opportunity in front of him, but resurrection power only comes through God. Let's see what he does. Does Rehoboam pray and seek the Lord for wisdom and a breakthrough? 1 Kings 12, 6. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, If today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with them and were serving him. He asked them, What is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, Lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, These people have said to you, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Rehoboam listens to his friends and the wise men of the kingdom to solicit advice. Unfortunately, it never says he prayed. 
reminds me of Absalom, the playboy son of the king as well, ignoring the wise advice of better counsel. This time it is this self-interested youth versus the wisdom of elderly counsel, and Rehoboam goes with what he knows, self-interested youth. A good king could have made this decision in the split of a second, but Rehoboam is not exactly a good king. 1 Kings 12.12 Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, Come back to me in three days. See those two extra references to three days? A golden opportunity was about to be wasted by Rehoboam. Did he pray and receive God's resurrection power? No, he didn't. Instead, he trusted the wisdom of his partying, drinking buddies. 1 Kings 12.13 The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For this a turn of events was from the Lord, to fulfill the word the Lord has spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all of Israel saw the king refuse to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home, but as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. So Rehoboam thought they were just mad at him, and he could force them back to work. So he thought he would just force his will. 1 Kings 12.18 King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. You get the feel from this that Jeroboam was the populist candidate, Solomon's right-hand man for many years, and everyone loved him. He gave them what they wanted. 1 Kings 12.21 When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shimei, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. God's judgment was the division of the two kingdoms. This was God's will. Let's say not his plan for them, but the consequence of Solomon's sin. And then I leave that question who atoned for Solomon's sin? What I find sad is that there are no prayers here. There's some prophecy by prophets. No reflections of a personal relationship with God. No one interceding. No intercession. No prayer mountain. It's done. Doom has set in. See, mercy always triumphs over judgment. But not here. 
because no one prayed for mercy. In fact, it was God's mercy that spared a war that would have led to slaughter. But Solomon didn't repent, and Rehoboam and Jeroboam never showed interest in interceding on behalf of their countries. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's discuss what happens when we don't pray. Disaster. Many ridicule the prophets for their outlandish words of judgment, but when you see judgment at the end of the age in heaven, it's final. But judgment on earth? It almost invites our intercession. Words of judgment are a beacon to the intercessor to stand in the gap for people and nations. Where are the intercessors? Where are the Levites? Where are the men and women of God who can pray? The United States was once divided into two nations during the American Civil War. In fact, Abraham Lincoln is famously quoted stating the horrors of the Civil War were the consequence, or could it be the consequence, of our agreement with the greater horrors of slavery. One famous song of this era was the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which speaks of the judgment of the devil and the end of the age. Interesting to parallel the United States at the time of the Civil War and Israel split at this moment. Both were possibly due to judgment, God's judgment, and the treatment of its people. In the time of the Civil War stood a great man, this is the American Civil War, stood a great man named Abraham Lincoln. Some question if he was a Christian, but he quoted scripture his entire life and stood as a bulwark against the division of the United States and refused to allow the United States to be torn apart, and he is known for his national prayer proclamations. It was God's judgment in Israel, but no one, I mean no one, we read, stood in the gap according to the biblical record. Where was the intercessors? Where was the friend of God? Where was Abraham praying for Sodom and Gomorrah or Moses for the Israelites on Mount Sinai or David or David praying for his nation or Daniel repenting on behalf of the entire nation after 70 years in Babylon? At this moment, great men of God were silent, and no one stood in the gap to keep Israel together. As a consequence, there'll be two kingdoms and basically two faithful tribes struggling to keep the flame alive in Jerusalem. Rehoboam failed to pray, but Abraham Lincoln and the American Civil War did. In the third year of Abraham Lincoln's presidency, in the third year of the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln made his famous proclamation for a national day of prayer, April 30th, 1863. We read this proclamation because it is a model of national repentance. Here is Lincoln's proclamation. A day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer in the United States of America on April 30th, 1863. Whereas the Senate of the United States devoutly recognized the supreme authority and just government of Almighty God in all the affairs of men and of nations has by a resolution required the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation. And whereas it is the duty of nations as well as of men to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon 
and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And in so much as we know, by His divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom in virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have come to too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God who made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Now, therefore, in compliance with the request, and fully recurring in the views of the Senate, I do by this proclamation designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer, and I do hereby request all the people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits, and to unite at their several places of public worship and their respective homes, and keeping the day holy to the Lord, and devoted to the humble discharge of the religious duties proper to that solemn occasion. All this being done in sincerity and truth, let us then rest humbly in the hope authorized by the divine teachings that the united cry of a nation will be heard on high and answered with blessings, no less than the pardon of our national sins and the restoration of our now divided and suffering country to its former happy condition of unity and peace. Nearly 90 days after Abraham Lincoln's proclamation, 175,000 northern and southern troops clashed on the fields of Gettysburg. Each side incurred about 23,000 casualties, but the result was a withdrawal of Robert E. Lee's Army of Virginia and what most historians agree as the turning point of the Civil War. The war will continue until 1865 when the southern forces surrendered and the United States became whole again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.